I'm Anwar. And I'm Fairlith. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to Discast. Welcome, everyone, to this latest episode of Discast. Uh, today. Uh, Fairleth and I will be discussing the golden age of Disney because we are going to start going through all the various ages and uh, I guess you could say like the sections of Disney of the major uh, Disney films Mm -hmm. uh, because of course these ages uh, released multiple films but the main ones are the ones that we're going to be talking about so for example in the golden age here uh, we're going to be talking about the five movies that uh, consist of the golden age which are of course snow white uh fantasia uh no snow white pinocchio Pinocchio, fantasia Fantasia, then dumbo then bambi yes those that's the order i like to i try and i try and keep the order in mind (laughs) makes sense to me yes so uh to start off uh we're gonna have Fairlith, talk a, bit, a little bit about some generic facts of the uh, of the Golden Age, uh, and then as we go into each film specifically, then we're going to go into some actual specific facts uh, more in more detail of those films. So, Fairlith, would you like to start? Yes, I would. All right. So, Disney's Golden Age of Animation began in 1937, and as Anwar said, it spanned five films before being abruptly cut short by what? Uh, by the war. Yes, by World War II. And uh, a lot of animators were drafted, so in another dimension, uh, in another timeline, we got a lot more movies in the golden age of animation, but um, mm-hmm. alas, it wasn't to be. And uh, that that's my that's my main little thing I wanted to say is, uh, <laughs> yeah, war is bad. It makes art suffer. Yes. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and uh, like Farla said, uh, uh, Coming to the during the production of Bambi, I believe I believe it was during the production of Bambi, uh, things were going on in Europe, and we were uh, of course uh, thrusted into the Second World War. Now, a big part of that ha- it, it affected the Disney company in multiple ways. Aside from the fact that, of course, as you as you said, uh, it just basically halted production of major films. Uh, it also saw a lot of money that would have come in from overseas to just stop. Yeah. And so the Disney company was forced to solely uh, kind of, I guess, benefit from purely uh, domestic gross. Mm. And unfortunately, as uh, these movies were coming out, like uh, specifically Dumbo and Bambi, uh, these movies didn't, were not exactly what you could call box office smashes in comparison to like Snow White and Pinocchio. Yeah. Unfortunately, so the Disney company saw a lot of you know money just kind of vanish because they didn't have anything from over from overseas. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I mean, that doesn't speak to the quality of the art they were making at that time at all. No, not at all. Um. Gosh, I think Fantasia still holds up as one of the most amazing achievements uh, in the company's history. Well, Fantasia, I really enjoy because uh, it 
it was just such a cool way to really introduce well it was because walt basically wanted people to experience what it was like going to the symphony uh and i guess a little more of a um wildly or widely uh accepted or widely accessible um accessible thank you uh accessible way yeah uh yeah, because like as as someone who I went to I went to school for classical music and, you know, a lot of the pieces that are featured in the film uh, we discussed in in uh, my history of music course, uh, like there's a whole section based on or that's a, uh, from the Nutcracker, like the big Nutcracker right. section. Uh, and yeah, and so like th- those that music alone really is great. But then you have the added benefit of the animations that go along with it Mm -hmm. and the animations I think are really really super fun because the animators are basically just allowed to interpret how they want it yeah Um, honestly I think uh, when you look at the two Fantasia movies the original one is far more psychedelic than the new one I think it's just oh I could talk about it all day (laughs) (laughs) achievement of syncing up the animation to the music is so insane to me um, the other thing about the golden age of animation that's very interesting is the juxtaposition of very cute stuff with very dark uh, subject matter. Oh, yeah. A lot of those movies are super scary. And I mean, most Disney movies now, I would say, aren't specifically designed to be like, hey, kid, toughen up and get some nightmares so you can... No. No. Like, but... Like, like, now, like, absolutely, I agree. Like, you consider... Even just going back to Snow White, like in the whole section when she's in the forest, yeah. that shit's that shit's terrifying. It's really messed like up. it's so scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the donkey transformations in Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I shouldn't be getting all that hot stuff. Just diagnose it. Uh, <laughs> uh, coming out at the end of Fantasia. Just oh, surprise! Here's a giant demon. Um, yep. Bambi's mom. They all yeah, have... the, basically just the trauma of oh yeah, no, your mom's dead now. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's little kids. That's a big concept to throw at them. Yeah, uh, and like, I like, I guess the big trauma of Dumbo, I think, is just, uh, just being ridiculed just for something you can't control. Yeah, well, he gets taken right? away from his mother too, and I maybe oh, mine is the yeah, saddest yeah, yeah. thing. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I don't think it's bad to have darkness. I'm glad there are Disney films without darkness as well. Um, but I think, honestly, I don't even know if this is what was intended, and I can't exactly ask him now, but I think mm. these movies are good gateways to talking about um, more adult topics. Oh, I, th- I think so, because, I mean, like, Walt's personal life, uh, like, he, he tried really hard, I think, to bring forth a lot of his own personal stuff into his movies. Like, um, one of the big things that I think people tend to comment on is his whole thing with moms, his whole thing with mothers. Mm-hmm. And the reality was, was he had a really great relationship with his mother. I think the big trauma was just that his mom just passed away really, really suddenly Yeah, when he was an adult. And that hit him really, really hard. And his whole thing with dads was he had great respect for his father and he loved his father dearly later in his life. But when he was younger, his dad was very was very much a classic kind of turn of the century type of uh, father in that he was very hard. He was very, uh, you know, you work hard, you 
do what you, you do what you need to do you do what you're told uh, he wasn't fully supportive of Walt's animation career, uh, I guess, until later on when he saw that, you know, this is a viable career. Um, but yeah, but like there, like Walt would tell stories about uh, his dad when his dad uh, put him and his brother out on like his paper routes and stuff and how how hard he was uh, about that. Like he's like, you, you, you have to deliver these papers. This is your job. Right. And yeah. so I think uh, I think to a degree, I think perhaps Walt's kind of. Uh, he is glad that he was given that work ethic by his father, but then at the same time, I think he had a still very kind of tumultuous relationship with his father in terms of that, yeah. because, you know, he was still kind of reeling from all that. Yeah, I think he was unpacking that forever because he learned the qualities that made him Walt Disney, but he suffered for it. And yeah. that's, that's tough. It's really, it's really hard to reckon with um, things that your parents did that harmed you, but also made you better at the things that you're passionate about yeah but then i think that brings in the question of can those things be done in you know less traumatic ways <laughs> i think so i'm just saying like you know when you have to reckon with it as an adult it's, it's just a weird balancing act but i yeah. agree don't traumatize your children yeah basically uh yeah and so i think he i think he kind of did that uh i i feel like a lot of his um his motivations for a lot of the art that he did, particularly with uh, around this time, had to do with personal things. I think because, mm-hmm. like, even going into when he made, uh, when he decided to build Disneyland, like a lot of it was motivated uh, by his family and by his daughters, because he was like, "I want a place to take my daughters uh, that is fun for all of us." Yeah. Because, like, you know, I, I deeply admire the idea of. Um wanting wholesome safe family entertainment that entertains adults and children's equally children's children equally i think that is and a really admirable and lofty role and i i i just oh the vision of that man yeah yeah and that's why i think it's important to uh bring up those things but then at the same time you know be like hey he he was also faulty of course, of course but i think uh i think ultimately what he I think ultimately what he wanted was he just wanted uh, the betterment of people. And he wanted to try and get the the best out of people, I think was ultimately what he wanted. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Um, another thing I found out when I was reading that I thought was very interesting is some Disney fans, Disney historians, Disney scholars, um, yes. don't want to consider the Golden Age as being between uh, 1937 and 1942. They want to consider all of the films made while Walt was alive as being in the Golden Age. And I think that is silly, but I think it's um, worth mentioning. <sighs> Not silly. Like, I think it's a legitimate way of looking at it, but the films after World War II have a different style. And I think it's 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 good to compartmentalize things so you can analyze them in more detail. I agree. I think it's... Yeah, because like stylistically, you compare the Golden Age and the Silver Age and the Silver Age, and just the they're so different. There are hints to what was before, like with Cinderella. I think specifically, you can still see a, a little bit of that classic princess movie style. But then you go, you fast forward a bit to Sleeping Beauty, and you're like, oh, this is still a princess movie, but it feels and looks so different. It's completely different. I mean. Aurora yeah. is more of an ethereal figure, where Snow White is more of um, Snow White is funny. Like she, she is a little more feisty, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. 
um, that the first princess was a little more, I think, um, had a little more agency. But uh, that is, of course, debatable because she ends up in a crystal coffin. But Yes, of course. She also runs through a really scary forest and uh, she makes plans. She tries to solve her problems that look Snow White very much. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Snow gets a little bit of... Uh, quite frankly i think she gets kind of dumped on a bit too much uh because everyone's like oh like i think partly because she's the first princess she's the one that kind of sets up that whole trope of love at first sight true love's first kiss all this other stuff but then you know if you look at her uh she is you're right she does actually have a lot of agency she does a lot of things for herself but again we'll we'll get we'll get deep into that when we actually discuss the film itself snow white um yeah. Uh, what other things did you have about uh, the Golden Age? Did you want to talk um, about? Well, that was mainly it. I have I have more um, discussion like of the films as they fit into it. Um, mm-hmm. A lot just about uh, the insane development of Snow White paying off in such a uh, dramatic mm-hmm. way um, until Gone Gone with the Wind came out. Uh, Snow White was the highest grossing film in history, and it is a kids movie. So yeah. I think that's pretty cool, and I think it's wonderful. I honestly think. Um, Movies in the future in, in Disney animation will get there had a much smaller budget because of various reasons, but the Snow White is just so perfectly done. I, I could talk about it all day, but I won't because it's not mm-hmm. that episode. Um, <laughs> that's that's mainly it. Just that people's minds kept getting blown by each of these movies, and I I just it, it it again for me is all about the vision of this man like looking forward and being like these are the movies we need to make to seem legitimate and to. Yeah. you know and that i always feel like in art the skill of knowing what people will react to and what they want to see is the the best skill like of course you should make art for yourself and i think it's clear that this is art made for um himself it, and yeah. I, I i i don't mean to say he wasn't passionate about this project but um Figuring out a movie that sits in the middle of the Venn diagram between what you want and what people want is an amazing skill and he did that with everything over and over and over and over again. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I agree. I think it's. Uh, I think he had a really good way of. Well, he was a futurist, right? Yes. Like I had. I think he had a really good way of. He had a really good perception. Of being like, yeah, like this is what I want to do, and this is how it's going to push this industry forward, and like that was the big thing about what he, why he wanted to make Snow White in the first place was because he was he wanted to be like yeah like we make all these shorts and everything why can't we just make it longer yeah there's no and reason. like you know so yeah like I think you're you're right he had such a good way of doing that and I think that's even more uh apparent with his building of Disneyland because like like because oh. yeah like he yeah, he, like I said before, his and it, the catalyst for that was basically just he wanted to build a park where he could go with his with his daughters and have a good time and enjoy everything all at once. Because, you know, at that time, carnivals were and and uh, amusement parks were not great places. Yeah, they weren't. I don't right? think that, I know as a parent, like I might send my teenage kid to go explore one of those carnivals, but I wouldn't feel super excited to go to one of those kind of carnivals with my young young child um, but also just because like 
one of the biggest things, one of the biggest pieces of, of criticism that he received was, uh, was like, oh, so you're going to build this thing and then it's going to be just like all the other ones. Like it's going to be dirty and grimy. There's going to be like weird, stupid attractions, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because, uh, that was kind of the norm at the time. Right. And then, you know, he decided to take a trip to Europe and saw like this one theme park in, I think it was in Germany. And he saw how beautiful and pristine and clean it was. And he was like, why can't we do that in America? Yep. And then basically, yeah. And then he did. He's like, yeah. I mean, in a way, like, I attribute the success of Disney, and this is very nerdy, Disneyland, rather, um, to the invention of immersive theater. Like, I think that... Oh, that's a good point. Oh, thanks. I I mean, I think that's why I'm so fascinated by Disney parks myself, is I love immersive-themed experiences. I think they're so wonderful, and I love the um, reversal of the audience after contract to make it uh, something about the audience, and I think that's what Disneyland is. And I think inventing that and starting to perfect that as long ago as he did when immersive theater itself didn't really start being a thing until oh i'd say the last 20 years so i i don't know i just today i'm just feeling really like (laughs) oh my gosh i want to be as innovative (laughs) um well yeah well when you break it down like he he really just decided to go for what it was he wanted to do which i think is all that we can really do as artists mm-hmm. is just like be like hey i want to do this thing and then just do it yeah <laughs> that's yeah. an important thing like you know if people don't understand the vision in your head you just got to get it out of your head no matter what it takes and i mean that's a big lesson to learn from the founding of disney studios and the founding of disneyland i think it's just sometimes you just mm-hmm. got to do it if you believe in your idea and know you're right um, Edward, do you want to talk a bit about who the nine old men were? Oh, the nine old men. Uh, I feel like you are probably, because I, I don't know as much about them as I think you might, but well, yeah, like the nine either. old men. Oh, well, and it's, and it's funny because like the nine old men are like one of the biggest things of the Disney company. It's true. Um, uh, well, from, from my recollection the nine old men were kind of like the nine uh, were like the first animators or at least the biggest animators in Disney. Yes. Uh, and they were the core. We're kind of there from the beginning. Yeah. Like yeah. They, were the, they were the core animators like yeah, there from the very beginning. The features. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, they, they weren't really old. <laughs> they eventually became old, but um, yes. As yeah, a, they weren't. They weren't at the time. They were. They were. No, they were in their uh, contemporaries. It was a joke. Um, mm-hmm. Walt was calling them his nine old men. Um, mm-hmm. It referred specifically to uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's dismissive description of the nine justices of the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, so all right. Well. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were all named Disney Legends in 1989, and they were all now deceased as of 2008. But um, yes. they were the core animators. They worked on features. Uh, starting with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and then ending with The Rescuers, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. movie I can't wait to talk about. Oh, the rest, like the, the first Rescuers. The first Rescuers. I mean, the second Rescuers yeah. is actually really good, especially for a Disney sequel, in my opinion. Yeah, it's strange that like some consider it as part of the, um, as part of the Renaissance and then some don't. But I think that's because uh, with the Renaissance, I think uh, people only look at the 
musical specifically. Yeah. And I mean, I get uh, that you which, can't include everything. Yeah, which I think is fair because the majority of the Renaissance was musicals. Yeah. Right? Amazing musicals. They're, oh, yeah. No, they're great. For sure. They're amazing. And I love them. And the Renaissance, you know, as, you know, being a 90s baby, the Renaissance is like yeah, iconic <laughs> for me. So. Me um, but yeah, but like, uh, so for the nine old men here, uh, we've got, I just pulled up their names because yeah. I can't remember them off the top Les of my head. Clark. Uh, mm-hmm. um, he, uh, did a lot of scenes. He, his specialty was animating Mickey Mouse and, mm-hmm. um, he was the only one of the nine old men to ever work on Mickey and, uh, his last, uh, animation feature was Lady in the Tramp and then he moved into directing. Mm-hmm. And then we got Mark Davis, uh, who worked on Snow White itself, uh, was developing characters for Bambi. Uh, we have him to thank for Tinkerbell. Uh, and of course, Maleficent and Aurora uh, and Cruella. Like uh, Mark Davis, um, Mark Davis is, is especially particularly important because he was also part of the design uh, team for Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion attractions. So yeah, I mean, so all like, the characters in those rides are created from scratch. They're all original. It's not based on current, like, what yep. had been current intellectual property. Like, I think the character design yeah. is crazy cool. Yeah. Pirates and, yeah, Pirates and Haunted Mansion completely Haunted original. Mansion. And, did I Haunted Mansion? What did you I say? did, I did. I just, I oh, okay. Haunted Mansion. Oh, yes. Oh, God. Uh, all the character design of Haunted Mansion is so cool. I, I'm going to digress for one second. Did you mm-hmm. know, um, so you've ridden Haunted Mansion a million times. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. You know that part where there's like the Undertaker and his dog and they're lo- they're in the cemetery and they're like, oh my God, what's happening? And they're terrified because there's a bunch of ghosts and yeah, people yeah, yeah. are and he's got bursting his out of the graves. Well, yeah. you know that, that dog? You know the band yeah. Skinny Puppy is named after that dog? Really? Yeah. That's funny. I thought you would enjoy that fun fact. That's that's pretty great. Uh, well, actually, uh, on the topic of fun facts of the Haunted Mansion, the Hatbox Ghost uh, is particularly interesting because the Hatbox Ghost, uh, the animatronic, was one of the originals, of course, when the Haunted Mansion ride first opened. But then mysteriously vanished after only, like, a week of being open. Ghosts do that, But then, like, <laughs> but the thing is, is, like, the whole animatronic just vanished. God, I know. Like, and then for some reason, I think because of that mystery, the Haunted Mansion or that character of the Hatbox Ghost just became so famous of that ride that I think it wasn't until like the early 2000s or the early 2010s that they decided to be like, hey, let's bring back this animatronic. And then like, of course, revamped it and made it more modern. But yeah, but yeah, I never saw him the first time, the first times I went to the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, like for like 40 or 50 years, he did not exist. And it was like, yeah, no, this character is part of the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. It's, it's just very funny how something like that can happen. I agree. Um, and that effect is amazing. I, I don't actually know the history of why they took it out or if there's any information about that. But like I, the effect they, is so they, cool. They, they didn't. Uh, to my knowledge, <laughs> to my me? knowledge, the anim- no, but to my knowledge, the animatronic was not act- was not actively removed by by the people, by oh, the. Uh, by the Imagineers. Oh, it's a conspiracy. Yeah, well, yeah, conspiracy in that, like, he just up and vanished. Uh, anyway, that is a conspiracy um, by Delhi. <laughs> 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 well, I'm gonna have to do a bunch of research and get back to you yeah. about the Hatbox Ghost next time. Even though it's Snow White, it's I, I'll find out. Um, who yeah. else is there? There's Milt Call. Uh, there's 
Milk Hall. Uh, oh, he he did uh, villains as well. He did Shere Khan mm-hmm. and Edgar the Butler mm-hmm. and the Aristocats. You know how I feel about mm-hmm. Edgar the Butler. I think, obviously, he tried to dump some cats in a river, but also, he didn't know they were sentient. Anyway, um, <laughs> he, he got shafted in the will. Uh, the he Sheriff did get of shafted Nottingham, in the will. Um, and Madame Medusa, who, of course, is iconic. Um, yeah. She, <laughs> she's amazing. Oh, my God. Just the the scene where she peels off her false eyelashes in that movie. Oh my god! So uh, of course, oh, Madame Mim as well. Oh, oh yes, Madame Ma- Mim. Madame oh Mim. my god! Also iconic. Also a complete role model. <laughs> Just brilliant woman. That's a character. <laughs> uh, I think, and I think uh, one of the biggest names of the Night Men, I think, uh, is Ollie Johnson. Mm. Uh, what did who, Ollie Johnson? Well, he also worked, as with a lot of these other animators, they all worked on Snow White. Uh, also uh, worked on Peter Pan with Mr. Smee, uh, was, worked with the stepsisters. Uh, he worked on Mis- The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Uh, Prince John, going back to uh, Robin Hood, of course. Yeah. That's great. Now, Ollie Johnson, I think, is one of the big ones uh, that... Uh, rings in my head when I uh, when I have, whenever I hear the name I'm like oh yeah that's a big name animator yeah well, speaking of big name animators Ward Kimball yeah also one of the nine old men and he was um, known for doing like weird stuff so he's responsible mm-hmm. for Jiminy Cricket who is pretty weird I think in my opinion um, mm-hmm. Jack and Gus Jacques and Gus in Cinderella Gus Gus uh, the Mad Hatter and the Cheshire Cat uh, mm-hmm. Lucifer the Cat just weird animals doing weird stuff weird weird yeah <laughs> weird animals weird stuff um eric larson yep uh he was uh what did he do he did the vultures in the jungle book uh you know they were supposed to be the beetles and they couldn't yep figure it out i love that i i love it Wait. yeah because of course like you look at them and one of them is straight up ringo star <laughs> but i mean on like that, the one with yeah this is the one the one with like all the hair that goes down yeah, in front yeah. of his eyes the bangs it, it it's supposed to be ringo <laughs> star so um on that note i mean i read and take this with a grain of salt because i definitely read this in a magazine in the 90s when i was a kid but mm-hmm. um i read that the muses and hercules were supposed to be the spice girls and that didn't work out i think this mm. is it's better the way it is but be yeah i think it's much better the way it is <laughs> Um, I, I'm having a hard time trying to imagine the muses as the, or the Spice Girls as the muses. I don't like it. I mean, I, I don't like it either. I like giving an opportunity to, to some people of color, but um, I, I think this is not about Disney, but the Spice Girls are underrated. I think if you look back at their stuff, there's some really good like Motown sounding, um, disco sounding stuff in there. Oeuvre. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, who else have we got? Uh, John, John Lounsbury. L- Lounsbury. <laughs> Lounsbury. Lounsbury? L- Lounsbury? Lounsbury? Well, maybe someone can yeah. write to us and tell us. Um, no. He uh, did the uh, dancing alligators in Fantasia, the ones that dance oh, with yes. the hippos. Mm-hmm. Um, he did some of the dogs in Lady and the Tramp. He did both the kings in Sleeping Beauty, which I love. I love the kings in Sleeping Beauty. Oh, They're wow. so funny. I saw the best cosplay at D23 actually last year, and it was these two cosplayers. Um, uh, one of them is on Instagram as Mad Hatter Boy, but I'm not sure who the other one is. Anyway, they were amazing and just wandering around, just being jolly all day. It was great. Um, That's great. And then uh, what else did he do? John Lounsbury is also responsible for the elephants in the Jungle Book. And I love the elephants in the Jungle Book. I think that song is amazing. 
It's very fun. Then we have Wolfgang uh, Wooly Reitherman, um, who joined Disney in 1935, and he is responsible for the crocodile and Peter Pan, the dragon in Sleeping Beauty. Um, oh, that dragon. That, that dragon is iconic. Oh. That I, dragon is beautiful. It's, it's gorgeous. And, oh my god, have you seen the animatronic of that dragon? Yes. Oh, oh. I, I tried to show it to... Um, my partner on youtube but it's just one of those things that you gotta yeah, go to like, disneyland and watch phantasmic are you talking about are you talking about um the animatronic in phantasmic yes oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. is there is <sighs> there another one well there's they have like the dragon come out in the parade oh yeah oh yeah that really cool one with the like cute prince philip that fights it yeah and it, like and it like spews fire yeah but didn't that thing set itself on fire is it back it did <laughs> <laughs> it, it only happened once oh, it only happened once okay, good. uh from what i recall but yeah like it was like oh shit like it just like it's on fire set itself on fire yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i feel like they i feel like the um, i think it was i think it was like just the outside shell burnt okay and i think they were able to take care of it so i think they were able to repair it and i mean like fuck it just disney throws like a hundred thousand dollars to rebuild it it's fine yeah they're weird about theme park spending though oh i know there's another maleficent dragon um there's another dragon Mm. in disneyland paris under the castle have you ever heard about that dragon yes it's amazing i went to disneyland paris once and that dragon is my biggest most iconic memory from that trip yes isn't it sleeping it's sort of sleeping it's um like its body is sleeping but the idea is that it gets roused by all the tourists coming through so it'll it'll wake up and like wave its head around and blink and like snort steam and uh growl oh, fuck, at you that's and stuff. so cool it's really cool it's worth youtubing yeah. um it's uh the dragon animatronic in disneyland paris because that's sleeping beauty castle of course um i love sleeping beauty castle i think it's so pretty it's pink um, yes. Okay, who- I'm trying to remember. There's another castle. Oh, I think it's the one in in um in Shanghai is the All Princess Castle. I think it's a castle that's oh, designed really after giant All the Princess. Yeah, I think that's Shanghai. I think that's Shanghai. Yeah, yeah. yeah For I'd some reason, I thought it was it. Paris. Yeah, no, I don't know um, what you mean. Just the enormous, enormous, enormous castle. Um, because yeah. every other castle is meant meant to be kind of mini. Um, haha. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can hide it from other lands, but Shanghai had different ideas. Yeah, they're like. Fuck it, we're gonna build a giant one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, last but not least, of course, we have Frank Thomas, who is another big, big name mm-hmm. that rings in my head as well. But I, th- I think it's because uh, Frank passed away in two thousand four, and Ollie passed away. I think it was in uh, two thousand eight. So yeah. I think that's why. Oh, wait, and Mark Davis passed away in two thousand. Yeah. I think that's why those names like ring so hard in my head. Um, but Frank Thomas, uh, again, joined in uh, nineteen thirty four. So like, uh, worked on Snow. Uh, he worked, uh, on the Wicked Stepmother, on uh, Lady Tremaine in Alice in Wonderland, Queen of Hearts, Captain Hook. Uh, and it's, and we have Frank to thank for the iconic spaghetti scene in Lady and the Tramp. Oh my God, that scene. I would love to recreate that with a human sometime. (laughs) Like... It's it's funny how like that one scene has become very much like a romantic trope in like certain like I've I've a hundred percent seen uh, like rom coms try and recreate that kind of thing, and I think it's very funny and very cute. I agree with you. Um, yes. The nine old men also refine the twelve basic principles of animation. I don't know much about animation uh, truly, but I don't either. I think it's really cool that they set a standard um, that was basically perfect. I think yeah. That's awesome. It's so neat. Yeah, like the uh, 12 Basic Principles, uh, Squash and Stretch, 
uh, anticipation, staging, straight ahead action and post to pose, follow through and overlapping action, slow in and slow out, arcs, secondary action, timing, exaggeration, solid drawing, <coughs> and appeal. Excuse me. Salud. Oh. <laughs> But I, uh, I think that's so cool. I think it's just like, it's, yeah. it's so neat to me that Walt Disney is like assembled this team of people who were, who had various passions and, and various um, obsessions and specialties and, and just was like, here, play and make it perfect. Yeah. And I mean, I think Walt Disney's perfectionism obviously caused a lot of problems, but it also, you know, made it. Uh, made the studio what it is today um creatively at least what was i going to say about uh, i don't remember now oh nope i i lost it nah, must not have been as important as you thought then no it can't have been too important but um that, that's how i try and justify whenever a thought pops out of my head <laughs> well i don't mind um <laughs> but yeah all all of these original golden age movies had um major major successes for the company that uh, sort of propelled them forward and, and gave them more momentum um pinocchio won best song uh for best original song the academy awards and best original score um but it is the thus the first film of, of the studio to win both of those oscars on the same film and uh then like fantasia um <laughs> that it was so expensive it was so expensive. Yes. It was a huge financial failure because the technology to uh, do it had to be installed in theaters. Yeah, he. We basically have Walt to thank for like what we know as surround sound today. Yeah, so because funny. he was he was like all these theaters that are going to play my movie. Yeah, you need to add like four more speakers. Yep. To get the full effect and <laughs> at a cost of eighty five thousand dollars per theater, and I mean adjust that for inflation. I have no idea what it is, but it's a lot. Yeah, but just think about that. Like in ni- in the nineteen forties, yeah, eighty five thousand dollars. Oh my god! Like that's that's a fuck ton of money. And he was just like, "This is what it needs to be," and he was right. Yep, because of course, he, like I said before, he was trying to replicate what it was like to be in the symphony. And that's awesome. Like, what a, what yeah. a cool problem to try and solve. One of the things I really like about um, production of, of culture is when, uh, people try to, or, or the artists try to problem solve to include, uh, poorer people in cultural events. So like, to me, it's so remarkable. It's like, well, I want to give people the opportunity to go to the symphony who might not otherwise get to go like awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Because of course the symphony was considered a very high class and expensive thing, right? Yeah. And I mean, still it is. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, there are some things in the golden age that didn't go very well. I mean, the way that the animators, um, were not given the credit they were due, I think more than anything, it was just what it seems to me is that people assumed Walt did everything and gave him credit for everything because his name was on everything. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, animators, the animators at the time found that difficult to swallow because it was their work. It was just him shaping yeah. it, directing it. Um, and that, among other things, including compensation uh, questions, led to the unionization of Disney Studios. So yeah. that was a direct result of the hard, hard, hard work of the Golden Age and the um, very fast recognition of the Golden Age as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very, very good point, actually, because, of course, like when you have when you have the name of Walt Disney's 
put on something, everyone's immediately going to go there. And I yeah. feel like, and I feel like that still even happens today. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like whenever you see something really, really big or something really good, like people usually either only go toward like, oh, prime example. Uh, you look at the Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. right? Everybody credits it as a Tim Burton film. Boo! Even though it's not. It's not. Who directed like, it, Anwar? Henry Selleck. Yeah. He, Tim Burton may have come up with the story and may have produced it, yeah. but he didn't direct it. He didn't, uh, like, he didn't create, well, he, 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 didn't write he it. created the character, he created the characters in that he drew them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but like, he didn't direct it. He didn't do any of the music. Like, and yet it's credited as a Tim Burton film. Yeah. And I right? think in some ways that's fair. Like, it wouldn't exist without his aesthetic. But I think in other ways, yeah. what a shame that pe- Henry Selleck isn't, like, similarly famous to Tim Burton. Yeah. You know? Um, and and Danny Elfman is, and Danny Elfman as well. Oh, yeah. Well, Danny Elfman in that, that movie is, like, oh, my God. It's great. Yeah. But, I mean, like, people don't even know the cast of that movie. movie. People, like, just Tim Burton all over the place. Like, that cast yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, like people forget that, uh, like that, uh, and it's becoming more recent now uh, that people know that Catherine O'Hara was in that movie. Yeah, she was right? both Shock and Sally, and singing yeah. both of them. Yeah, and uh, Henry and sorry, uh, Danny Elfman was the singing voice of uh, Jack. Yeah, I can't. I don't know if he was the. Spe- I don't know if he was the speaking voice as he well. He was not. Chris Sarandon was the speaking voice of Jack Skellington. Thank you. You would know him as Prince Humperdinck from Princess Bride. <laughs> and uh, also as um, Frank the Vampire in the original Fright Night. Amazing. Which is hard to take seriously if you have seen The Princess Bride. Yes. <laughs> and then um, Danny Elfman also provided, I always forget whether it was Locker Barrel, but I think he was the voice of Barrel. Um, and then he was one of them because Paul Rubens, Paul Rubens was the other was one. was the other one. Yeah, exactly. Um, where yeah. has Paul Rubens been lately? He's been doing Pee Wee Herman stuff again, I guess. I think so. Uh, I think he's just been kind of, like, laying low and, like, just doing his own thing, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and so, like, I think it's very difficult uh, for you as an animator to be like, hey, here's this really awesome thing. You know, like, I'm kind of responsible for that, but people don't really give you the credit. And so, yeah, you like, all of that uh, was a very, very good catalyst for the desire to unionize. Yeah, and I mean, good, they should Absolutely. Uh, but then, of course, you have Walt, you know, being the capitalist idealist, uh, being like, no, these guys don't need to unionize because I already like ben- I, I, I benefit everybody, you yeah. know, like everybody is treated fairly. It's like, mm, actually, Walt, they're not. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So I, mean, I think that was a good lesson for him to learn anyway. Yeah, because, of course, you know, you just like it, that. I think that was an instance where even though he is a futurist, uh, he just didn't see that aspect of it yeah it's it's funny of moving forward i think it's it's frustrating because something like disney studios wouldn't happen the way it is without capitalism but mm-hmm. uh i think it's a flawed system yeah well yes <laughs> <laughs> i think i think we can all fairly agree that it is um but you're right like it is kind of one of those double-edged swords where it's like uh walt provided this product uh, that people desired, and then he made money off of that. Yeah. Well, he thought of it, it. He promoted it. He his face yeah. was on it. Like if it failed, he would be the one who was a laughing stock. And like, it didn't fail. Of course, it didn't. But... Well, it didn't fail in that. Didn't it? Didn't like 
crash the company, yeah. but he got close. Like yeah. it, it, I think, I think in uh, in some ways, uh, he he felt like he was failing uh nearing the end of the golden age which i think is why when it came into because like between the golden and the silver age uh you have like the wartime movies um right because the company wasn't really putting out a bunch of uh big big name movies uh it was a lot of like propaganda films and then of course the u.s government came in and like we was like using the studios as like a base or something yeah if i remember mm-hmm. um and then he and then walt had to you know, go through the whole union strike and everything. And, yeah, uh, which was happening during Dumbo. Yeah. And then he was like, all right, well, peace out y'all. I'm going to fuck off to South America now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, Walt, sure. Just leave, you know, Roy and the lawyers to deal with all of this. That's fine. Poor Roy. Well, while you, you know, <laughs> fuck off to South America. But then in going to South America, he was exposed to all of these really, really cool, like, different cultures and everything. And then he comes back and then he produced and then he makes uh, Saludos Amigos and he made um, The Three Caballeros, which uh, I think are very fun films. I think they're, uh, you know, as as someone from a Latin American background watching these movies, uh I see them very much as somebody who, you know, was exposed to this culture and wanted to bring it forward in a positive way, yeah. which I, which I think is what, uh, which I think is ultimately what he wanted, you know, which is what, uh, which is why whenever people really try and push the whole, uh, racism thing on Walt, I kind of look at him like, ah, I don't think he was a racist in compared to everyone tradi- else. But, like, in the traditional sense, yeah. in that he was, you know, he, you know, he was racist, you know, I don't think he was uh, mean or bad to people of color. I think he would just happen to be, quote unquote, racist by the mid 20th century racism standards, in that he just didn't, you know, uh, it was in how he portrayed certain characters in his films. So, you know, using, uh, kind of jumping forward to Peter Pan a bit, how they portrayed the, uh, the indigenous people of uh, Neverland, like by today's standards, it's a very racist portrayal, but in the mid 20th century, that wouldn't necessarily be considered that because that's just what was done. Yeah. Right. And so I wouldn't, yeah. So I wouldn't say he was a flat out racist. I would just say that he was a product of his time. I agree. Really. I absolutely agree with you. And I think yeah. there's something to be said for someone like I, I don't excuse racism. Like lack of in- inclusion really upsets me, but I'm yeah thinking through a lens of like how these people were raised at that time to be adult in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And I think it's remarkable that someone like Walt Disney would even think to want to include other cultures in his films. Yeah. At all. And I mean, you, obviously the thing to do would have been to hire people from those cultures to tell those stories all that but it was the 40s yeah but that's not what you did in the 40s yeah it's just, just it just it just wasn't done wouldn't even have occurred to somebody and it should have but i think it's cool that those movies were at least that they were kind of trying yeah yes and uh c- coming back to the golden age uh uh using dumbo as an example where you have uh we, with the crows with the crow sequence in Dumbo again by today's standards is you know fairly problematic but again 
in the time of the early 1940s early or uh, mid mid late 1940s it really it was just kind of how things were done yeah which is unfortunate but i think which is unfortunate it was the beginning of seeing a turn in culture and i mean it took a re- it took a really long time and it's still happening and it's going to be still happening mm-hmm. after we die but i think problematic people like people who had problematic ideas starting to at least a little bit examine those ideas was yeah at least a good beginning to uh seeing more diversity in culture but i'm about as white as you can get so it's hard for me to really <laughs> speak on it um yeah i think i think when we get into i think when we get into some of like the the later films where things like that uh where certain people of color are more highly highlighted i think i would want to bring in more people uh to discuss those things. So like, for example, if and when, or when we finally discuss Peter Pan, I, uh, I'd like to bring in, you know, uh, some of our indigenous friends to actually discuss that. That would be great. Because I, I yeah, because like I've, I've talked to my, I've talked to my, my friend, um, a buddy of mine, uh, who is indigenous, who's from up north. And he and I have had like big discussions on those sequences in Peter Pan. And he's, he's, he's a very, very chill guy. Like he has a wide, wide, dark sense of humor so every time he sees it he laughs at it yeah he 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 laughs at it because of how ridiculous it is mm-hmm. and how it's, there's so many flaws in it yeah uh that he he considers it just a very he he sees it as more comedy than it is flat out racism uh yeah. which i think is interesting and uh for me i can see a comparison whenever you see a character uh like i'm gonna use um i'm kind of i'm gonna jump a little bit here but in Family Guy with the character of Consuela, the cleaning lady. Like, for me, I find that character to be absolutely hilarious because it is such it is such a stereotype, but it is such a caricature of that stereotype that I can't help but laugh at it. Yeah. Right? Because, like, I, like, my, you know, uh, that concept of a Latin American person being a cleaning person is, is real, right? Like, I know for me, like, my my dad's company we hire cleaning people to clean apartments Mm -hmm. and they're you know they're all latin american people Mm -hmm. uh you know i've had to clean apartments you know like and so like it's it is it is a thing but i think i think it all depends on context and i think it comes from how the thing is done so if you're like in a thing if you're in a comedy and you have a caricature i think you can at least for me i can kind of forgive it yeah, I think, I don't think it's that stereotyping is inherently, like, the problem. I think it's more that, should Seth MacFarlane be profiting after off that stereotype? <laughs> or should, like, a, a, a Latinx person uh, be the one who gets to make that stereotype and make money off it? And I, I mean, I prefer the latter, but I, I totally see what you're saying. Um, I, I just, I think the more wide range of, portrayals of everybody because you know white people are scientists and buffoons in movies and i think um just the more stories about the more different kinds of people there are just the better i'm not saying everybody has to be in a a, a sort of an oscar drama movie to be uh valid it's just yeah more stories about wide range of people yes which i think is why we're kind of coming into like this new uh, kind of this new quote-unquote golden age of animation now because you're seeing a lot more of these kinds of stories come forward. I mean, like, just looking at the Disney company itself, you have characters like 
you have like Moana, Miguel, Miguel. You have uh, right. You have Coco. Uh, there's that next movie coming out called Raya. Oh Raya? yeah, the yes, that looks really good. Raya um, and the. Let me, and the let Lab- me look it up. The one... I think it's. I want to get the name right. I think it's Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, and then Soul, of course, yeah, it's came out recently. Raya. I, yeah, Soul was really fun. Um, but even stuff like Lilo and Stitch, it's like awesome. That is an amazing yeah. movie about, partially about Hawaiian culture, honestly, but it, yeah. it's just, it's about a, a woman who happens to be Hawaiian. Like, it's it's so great. Yeah. I'm talking about Lilo and Stitch all day, too. <laughs> but we're running out of time. Yes. Uh, yeah, so, like, we can discuss, like, the more about the golden age uh but i, I my fear is that we'll start getting into more and more specifics about yeah i'm trying to avoid specifics but i think we yeah. covered it nine old men were the core uh animators for the disney features the first five and many mm-hmm. others afterwards um mm-hmm. the nature of a beast with one sort of figurehead or face uh made it so disney animators unionized and uh, yeah. they went on strike during the production of dumbo uh, and it was all incredibly exciting because it was the first time anyone had done anything like this. And during for Fantasia, they lost a ton of money because they invented surround sound and installed it. In <laughs> Have I missed anything? Yeah. Uh, no, I think that pretty much covers it. Well, there, uh, Pinocchio really, really highlighted the use of the multiplane camera. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, these movies are between 1937 and 1942, cut off by World War II. Yeah. Too long, did not read. That <laughs> sums up the golden age of animation. Basically. There you go. Next time we're going to be talking about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, very ex- I'm very much looking forward to that. And then we can, of course, talk about the the ride. Oh, that yeah. corresponds to it. They just redid it, you know. They just redid it, yeah. I haven't seen... Uh, I don't know whether or not they released uh, a ride through of it because Disneyland is closed. Just highlights. I, I know some it's things. Just highlights, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have some feelings about this new ride and its new uh, name, but let's talk about it next time. Yes, we will discuss it next time when we talk about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I'm very, very excited about it. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be very fun. And yeah. All right. Because, of course, that's where, it, that's kind of what kicks off everything. That's what started everything. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, bye. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> listening, everyone. Oh, we'll catch you. We'll catch you next week. Catch you next week. Ciao.